1207, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Eric Goldstein. I mean, there's so much going on this week. And let's put aside from what I'm about to say, the elections, for for just a minute. But you want to talk about some relentlessly bad news, particularly out of California. You had the shooting in in Thousand Oaks, California, where you have the 11 people that are dead. And what, what is perhaps going to be the driving story of the weekend is these wildfires mm-hmm. that are, are breaking out. You have, there are multiple wildfires that people listen to the coverage. There's what they call the Camp Fire, which is this huge wildfire that broke up kind of around the, broke out sort of around the Sacramento area. I mean, think kind of north central part of the state. Right. And now you have what they're calling the Woolsey Fire, which is right in the same area where that, that shooting was essentially earlier this week. And that's it's burning, and it's in the Los Angeles area, and it's heading for Malibu, and they're telling people to evacuate. It, yeah. It's just a mess. Evacuating tens of thousands of people, and you're right. It was interesting. We heard uh, someone who lives in the area. She's like, it feels like the apocalypse after that terrible story earlier this week with the shooting, and now this, this fire exploding overnight. Right. Well, you've been to California, right? Oh, yeah. It just was a couple of days ago. It's, it's you know, it's it, for people who don't understand how this happens, California, uh, particularly, I mean, the L.A. area and the San Diego area, et cetera, it, it's, it, it's, it's hills. And what happens is it's very dry there. Mm-hmm. They don't mm-hmm. get a lot of rain. So, for example, last October, I was in San Diego visiting my, my niece, who's now a sophomore at San Diego State. And one of the things that I was struck by is, is like San Diego State is at the base of of, of hills. There's these big hills and everything is brown. Yeah. I mean, it's just everything is brown. Everything is dry because again, there's very little rain that, that this gets and, and that's fine and the weather's nice and it's beautiful, but it, but it's all brown. And what happens is you have particularly in the fall where you have high winds. You have, so everything's really dry. It's a giant tinderbox. You have these little brush fires that break out, and then you've got 30 or 40 mile an hour winds that pick them up, and they just push them towards the Pacific. And there's almost nothing that firefighters can do. And what's really incredible about it, because we were out, we were in Sonoma. Right. And uh, we were standing at an Airbnb that was fine, but the house right next to it was gone. From the fires that had happened earlier, remember the ones in wine country from earlier in the year, and it was basically right. these embers. It's not. It's not even like it has to be a fire wall. All it takes is an ember here and there right. that just kind of catches the wind, lands forty yards away, and boom, that house is gone. It's amazing how it works out. Right, and it's the the monster winds that they have in October and November is a particularly volatile time for that. And you hear the stories about how the, these fires like jump freeways because of the wind. Again, everything is just dry. It's this giant mm-hmm. tinderbox. Yep. So you think, okay, well, well, it's coming up to a highway. Maybe that'll control it. No, no, because the wind just pushes all the embers over to the other side of the road, and then, boom, it yep. just takes yep. off. Yeah. What awesome. a mess. Um, and that's that's going to be one of the driving stories of the weekend. And yeah, you look at some of these pictures, and it's kind of like, wow, this is the apocalypse. And, again, put this on top of the fact that this is the, the, the Woolsey fire. Again, there's multiple fires. The Woolsey fire is, is the one. This, this is threatening Thousand Oaks, where you had this mm-hmm. horrible thing on right. Wednesday. Wow, mm, something like that. It has been a week of just, just one story after another. Is it seems like we're being buffeted by that as we move through the show today. We're going to try to do some some lighter stuff as well. I understand there's lots of significant and heavy stuff, and we'll we'll be doing some heavy lifting. But before three o'clock, we're also going to lighten stuff up. On that note, let us start the show off on a positive note. Gru, who's producing the show today and always, did you happen to either listen to or watch any of that Bucks game last night? 
You you did not catch it. Well, I I actually now here, here is my confession. I um I'm a huge sports fan, but in the the list of of things that I I really I, I do I like the Bucks. Yes, I like the Bucks. Do I like NBA basketball? Yeah, but I'm more of a baseball fan. I'm more of a football fan. I'm more of a college basketball fan than I am an NBA fan. And it's not to say they don't like the NBA, but it's just I, and part of it I I think has been that the Bucks in general have been mediocre to bad for a long period of time. Uh, the, the college game just has an appeal to me, even though the players aren't, aren't as good. I mean, the NBA, I think, arguably has the best athletes in the world, but a lot of times, a Tuesday night in January, you got one team that kind of mails it, mails it in. And so, I, I just, my, my interest level is not as high in the NBA, which isn't to say I don't like the NBA, but I'm telling you, this Bucks team is for real. I, I'd actually, I'd forgotten about the game almost. And, and last night, about 10.30, I'm kind of channel surfing. I said, oh, yeah, the Bucks are on. Let me, let me check this out. And they were on national TV. They were on TNT. And they're playing the Golden State Warriors, who have won the NBA championship, you know, how many years in a row, generally regarded as the best team in basketball, maybe the best team ever. You've, they really got a dynasty going. The Bucks are playing at Golden State in Oakland. So you figure, okay, well, it's a competitive Bucks team, but... They're probably going to lose. They're playing on the road. Golden State hasn't lost at home this year. I turn it on in the middle of the third quarter, and they're ahead by 14 points. And I'm thinking, okay, well, we've kind of seen this movie before. Golden State's going to make a run. So I start watching it, and the Bucks. not only do they not give up that 14-point lead, they, they, they blow this thing up. It was a 27-point lead at some point in time. What did they win by? They ended up winning by 23. The Bucks go out to Golden State play what is generally regarded as the best team in basketball on their home court and just completely kick the cheese out of them. It was just an absolutely amazing game. And I will tell you that the parts of the game that I was watching, and you can listen to it here on WTMJ as well, it was like a layup drill. I mean, they were stealing the ball over and over again, and they had these fast breaks. It was I don't know that they can duplicate that performance every night. Matter of fact, I kind of doubt it. But if if they can play to that level for a significant proportion of the season, this team is going places. And it was just it was sort of a signature statement. And I again, I was thinking, wow, this this Bucks team is really for real. If you can go out and you can handle Golden State like that, and it granted, Golden State, you know, one of their players was star players was injured, and Steph Curry left in the third quarter. But by that time, the game was already out of control. This was an amazing win for the Bucks, and I tell you, it's going to be a fun season if they can play like this. All right, let me take a very quick break. By the way, we're not doing Facebook Live today. A couple technical issues, but that will probably be back hopefully on Monday when we come back want to talk to you about where we go with Foxconn. The results of the election on Tuesday, I think, throw that whole project potentially into question. We'll discuss in just a moment. Stick around. 1214, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. If you will recall, the Foxconn initiative to build the new potentially transformative Foxconn plant in the southern portion of our listening area, Mount Pleasant, that was supported by the governor. In the legislature, the various deals and concessions that had to be made to get Foxconn here came almost exclusively on partisan lines. There were Two or three Democrats in the Assembly who voted for the Foxconn deal. 
I'm not sure off the top of my head if any Democrats in the state Senate voted for the Foxconn deal. So this was pretty much exclusively a Republican deal. Scott Walker negotiated the arrangements, the legislature with very, very little support from the Democrats ended up passing it. And it has been, or at least early on, it was an election issue. I think as time went on, some of the Democrats who were running for office realized that this wasn't going to get anywhere. It wasn't necessarily getting them any traction, but they bailed on it. But it has been a criticism, an ongoing criticism of Democrats in Wisconsin. Foxconn was a bad deal. The state gave away too much. Uh, it's going to drain. It's going to destroy the environment. We're not getting enough out of this, et cetera, et cetera. It's corporate welfare. You've heard all the arguments, right? As long as you had a Republican governor and a Republican-controlled legislature, it was going to happen. We've now broken ground and the, on the Foxconn project, and, and they're building the plant. All right, that doesn't mean that Foxconn is a done deal. Now, I, I, I understand that there's all these contracts that are signed and there's various commitments that are made, but the truth of the matter is, despite you know all the progress that has gone on, if you have a Governor Tony Evers that comes in and is fueled by support within the Democrat Party, can they kill the Foxconn project? I don't know. Can they slow the Foxconn project down dramatically? Absolutely. Tony Evers, before the election, already said that he was open to looking at some of these pollution deals that they had made with Foxconn to allow them to do this, that, or the other thing. You have a lot of the environmentalists who have some concerns about this. This was railroaded through. Tony Evers said he was open to looking at that. It is completely possible, completely possible, that you could have a Governor Tony Evers who decided, you know what, we are going to side with the environmentalists, for example, who have a lot of concerns about the use of Fox, Foxconn drawing water from Lake Michigan or this or that or the other thing. And you couple that with now a Democrat attorney general who might take a different look at this. And even though you've got the Foxconn deal that is in place, you could have the state government conceivably decide that we're now going to be, if not overtly hostile to it, we're now going to start putting the brakes on this because we're going to demand, you know, more environmental review or whatever. It is possible, I think, that you could see Foxconn significantly delayed by, again, using agency review and things of that, or maybe, like I say, even siding with uh, certain people who might be inclined to bring court cases. Do I think you could necessarily kill it? Well, well, not not directly, but could an Evers administration make it so difficult for Foxconn that you have a substantial delay in its operations. All right, let's open up the phone lines. Our numbers, our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, well, we've always talked about Foxconn from the perspective of this is kind of a done deal. You've got the Republicans in the legislature who want it. You've got the governor who wants it. Well, now, now... It's a different question because theoretically you were happy having a governor coming in in January who might be hostile to Foxconn. 
You have an attorney general coming in who might be hostile to what's going on at Foxconn. And you have Democrats in the legislature, admittedly in the minority, but who have been already hostile to Foxconn. So here's my question. At this stage, should Governor-elect, soon-to-be Governor Tony Evers, should he be moving to, if not kill Foxconn, to slow down the pace of its development? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Where do we go from here? And for people who opposed it, is this the chance to perhaps kill it before it really takes off? 414-799-1620. What do we do now? It's 1223. If you're on the line, please hold on. We'll discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1225. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, I I mean, I understand that the agreements with Foxconn and the state of Wisconsin have already been signed. I, I understand it. And some people are saying, oh, it's a done deal. Nothing can happen to it. Well, I don't think that's the case. There's all sorts of stuff using government regulations and the regulatory process and the court process that you could do if you chose to do that to, I don't know if it would be fair to say kill the project, but certainly delay it. Hey, you know, we've now got these environmental concerns. We think this stuff was rushed through here. You know, we're going to have, you know, the, the new DNR start looking at some of the stuff that was granted, or maybe the new attorney general is going to decide, hey, we're going to go into court. We're going to side with environmentalists on these things. There's a whole myriad of stuff that could be done if you decided you wanted to try to delay um, the implementation of the Foxconn deal. Where do we go from here? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Bill in Mount Pleasant. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Uh, yeah, I, I brought up Foxconn, I think, earlier, but I actually live between Lake Michigan and Foxconn. I mean, there, I literally can't get on the highway for you know a few miles I have to drive. But I actually am for Foxconn. I, I've been involved. I mean, I've watched it grow. I've talked to the engineers, uh, coincidentally, in City Hall about it before from Foxconn. Right. But, I mean, beyond that, beyond what they've done, beyond clearing the land, beyond all of that and trying to slow that down or even stop it, the, the, the money that they have poured in and committed to educating people for jobs in education, is for 3D imprinting, for doing different uh, types of jobs. Uh, they've, they're basically looking at it and not even doing anything for, say, a year and a half, 18 months or so. But, but beyond that, what do they do with the education money mm-hmm. that they've agreed to put into for these jobs? If they slow anything down, you're going to have people that are sitting there qualified that could have been, now, now they have doubts about whether they're going to have a job. Right. So you think you think the Evers administration and and the different regulatory agencies that he will now be able to control with appointments, you think they should just keep their hands off and and we're down this road, let it go as it's as it's intended. Absolutely, have to because I mean there are I, I agree there there are a lot of fears on what could happen if then there's no such thing as a small mistake here, but at the same time I think. As far as I can see, the Midwest is going to be the Silicon Valley of the whole Midwest. Thanks for calling. And by the way, I agree with you. I mean, I I, I think that you know, I I think if if allowed to develop, 
you're going to look back 10 years from now, we're going to look back at Foxconn and say, my gosh, this was transformative. Now, maybe I'll be wrong, but but I, I think that's the case. However, you have to keep in mind the political reality of this. You had almost every Democrat in the state legislature, many of whom are, are still there, who, who voted against it. They said this was terrible. And you have, uh, again, now Democrats controlling the state house. And as I said, I, you, you've got contracts. You can't, I think, just renege on the contracts, but you can do all sorts of stuff through the regulatory process to perhaps roll back approvals that Foxconn had or side with people who might be inclined to sue. There's no doubt in my mind that if Tony Evers comes in and he and the new attorney general, Josh Call, decide we want to be hostile to Foxconn, you can, if not stop it in its tracks, you can certainly throw up all sorts of impediments. Should we consider doing that? Do Democrats have to do it, given the fact that they've been almost united in their opposition to this? Let's talk to Darlene in Brookfield. Darlene, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. I agree with your previous caller. What good is a contract if it can change when political uh, elections vary? All the money that was poured in and the jobs that are promised, what good would it do? Why be obstructionist? Well, I mean, right. I mean, I, I would think so. I mean, I would agree with you. And, and again, you, you, you have the contracts that are in place. But again, as we've seen, courts could delay the stuff. If you have a change of administration, they could take a different approach to all sorts of regulatory things, which could slow it down. This, in my opinion, it's a huge issue. And, and I, I hope I hope this is allowed to go forward. I raise some questions, though, because, again, this is something that the Democrats campaigned against. I have an interesting text that makes the point about how in in the Madison left, the the Madison left kind of views this, the Foxconn deal, the the same way that people viewed. Remember when Governor Walker came in and he killed the not-so-high-speed train between Milwaukee and Madison? Well, that, that's the that's the analogy that's being used. Well, he said the high-speed train was a bad deal, so he did everything he could to kill this. Well, now, if we think Foxconn is a bad deal, shouldn't we do everything we possibly can to kill that? Stay tuned. It's 1235. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Now, as I've been saying for two days now, I, I don't think what happened on Tuesday night in the city of Milwaukee is, is fraud. But it is definitely mismanagement that raises questions on transparency. I'm talking about the fact that the city of Milwaukee didn't tell anybody that they were apparently sitting on 40-plus thousand votes. They reported that all precincts had been in, et cetera, et cetera, and then said about – and so everybody who's watching the race sees it's a very close race, flip-flopping back and forth between Evers and Walker. And then all of a sudden, the city of Milwaukee says, oh, by the way – we're sitting on 40, 45,000 votes that we haven't run through the machines. And, you know, we'll, we'll maybe we'll send the election commissioner over with a flash drive and we'll dump those votes, which happen to go, what, 75, 25 or 80, 20 for Evers and decide the race. Now, again, I don't think there was fraud involved, but it does show whether it's incompetence or whatever on the part of Milwaukee officials that they can't get their ballots totaled in a timely fashion like every other community across this state can. And it was interesting afterwards they were blaming Republicans. Well, Republicans don't let us count this count these early. Well, all right, all the other counties and all the other municipalities are able to get this done 
during the day um, in the city of Milwaukee, apparently they can't. And I do think it raises issues moving forward about transparency because you sit there and wonder for elections now, okay, what's going to happen? Is the city of Milwaukee, is Tom Barrett or their election commission, are they going to sit on votes and then all of a sudden we'll see in a close election how many votes need to be cast and boom, all of a sudden you get these votes out of the city of Milwaukee. Now, I'm not, again, alleging fraud, but it, it didn't it didn't look right. And you would think that Milwaukee would be able to get its act together. Having said that, what is going on, what happened in the city of Milwaukee is nothing like what is going on in, in Florida again. Florida, now remember, Florida was the, the whole era of the hanging chads. And, you know, we, we had to go on for weeks and weeks and weeks back in 2000 after the Bush-Gore election. And, gee, how many votes are here? It took a case going ultimately up to the U.S. Supreme Court before this was finally decided. And it looks like we're looking at something like this potentially in Florida again. Florida, the um, the retir- retiring governor of the state of Florida is a Republican. He's running for Senate. He, he's ahead, and he was well ahead um, in a close race, but but well ahead on election night. Similarly, the Republican candidate for governor was ahead. Well, the scene switches to Broward County, Florida, which is, again, the kind of that Miami-Fort Lauderdale area, and this is where the mess was in 2000. And, and Broward County keeps finding ballots. Literally, they, I, I've been reading about this Miami, Miami Herald. First of all, they say, okay, there was whatever the number was, 635,000 votes cast. We've got them all counted. Oh, we just found another 40,000. Oh, we just found another 30,000. Oh, we, and, and it really does seem like it's like, all right, how many votes do we need to find to make sure, and it's a heavily Democratic area, how many votes do we need to find and then count to make sure that the Democrats are able to overhaul the Republicans? It, it's just... It, I mean, I don't know if there's fraud going on, but it's just, again, this amazing thing. And now what's happened is because they keep finding all these votes that break overwhelmingly Democrat, and I say finding in quotation marks, it, it now looks like the the amounts are going to be close enough. Still, the Republicans are maintaining a margin, but instead of a margin of 50,000, it's down to 17,000. Instead of a margin of 75,000, it's down to 30,000 in the governor's race or, or whatever. So now it, it's getting to the point where it's gotten now close enough to trigger, again, these these recalls where ballots are going to be examined, etc., I here here's the the problem here and again it it the fact that this comes from Broward County in Florida once again makes you wonder why in 2018 we can't figure out how to run elections this shouldn't be that hard you know and now down in Florida it, it's almost all the it's almost all the electronic ballots you know this should not be this hard you know, if we can put a man on the moon back in the 1960s, if we all have computers walking around in our pockets on our cell phones, if we're able to do all this, you would think that we would be able to, I don't know, count the ballots that people cast in a timely sort of fashion. But it, I think, and again, because this isn't for control of the U.S. Senate, but it's an important seat. And so... Already, I'm looking at the stories. A lot of the Democrat lawyers that were around in 2000, they're already flying back to Florida for the recount. It, it it looks like to me there is an effort to try to steal an election, uh, again, under everybody's eyes. Once again, coming from Broward County, Florida. 
So where does this go? I, I don't know. Right now, the Republican leads in the Senate race, the Republican leads in the governor's race. But who knows? Because the longer this goes on, the more ballots they seem to find that break overwhelmingly Democrat. But again, it's we're sitting here. It's Friday. <laughs> the, the, the election was in on Tuesday. And in 2018, we haven't figured out how to reliably count the ballots. Hmm. Interesting. All right. I mentioned this before the break. There is a story out today suggesting that because tax revenues, it, it actually comes from the Wisconsin Policy Forum. And what it says is that the state, this is their estimate, Wisconsin, would need an additional 2.2 B as in billion dollars over the next two years to continue their existing programs. They say that state revenue is unlikely to increase by anywhere near that much. So in order, let's not talk about added spending. Let's not talking about, let's not talk about putting more money into, you know, K-12 education. Let's not talk about putting more money into road rebuilding or any of these other things that uh, Tony Evers was talking about during the campaign. Just to continue doing what we are doing would cost about, you're going to have to generate perhaps upwards of 2.2 B as in billion dollars in extra revenue. Or the alternative is to make cuts to programs, to go in and say, all right, look, we're we're not going to raise taxes. Um, we're going to have to scale back because we, we just don't have the money to do this. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, one of the things we saw on Tuesday where, what was it, out of like 82 school spending referendums, voters across the state approved 77 of them. In southeastern Wisconsin, pretty much, I think there were 23 school spending referendums, seems to be off the top of my head, and, and all of them were approved. So voters right now appear to be in a, what the heck, let's spend more money. So let's tee this up. Before we talk about new programs, before we talk about new expenditures, it appears just to maintain the same level, we're going to need to figure out a way to get somewhere in the neighborhood of an extra $2 billion. Here's my question. Raise taxes or cut programs? 414-799-1620, and that's before any new spending. Should we anticipate increased taxes, and are you okay with that? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Liz in Delavan. Hi, Liz. You're in WTMJ. Hello. What do you think? Uh, no and no and no. This is the third time they pushed, tried to push a referendum through, and this time it succeeded, mm-hmm. which I'm not too happy about. And then... Well, don't feel alone. I mean, referendums, all the school referendums all across the state, 77 out of 82 passed. I mean, over $1 billion in spending, people voting to raise their taxes. I'm just trying to figure out where they're going to get this money from because as of right now, with Evers going into the governorship, we are potentially looking at millions upon millions of dollars. We will never be able to repay back, and then our taxes are going to go up as well. But isn't that what people voted for? I mean, that's not necessarily a surprise. I mean, aren't the people of Wisconsin saying we're okay with raising taxes? I'm not okay with it. I'm not okay with it. All right. Well, I'm not either, but I mean, I'm just, I'm. 
this was clearly one of the issues in in the race. Now, the reality is, because there's still a Republican-controlled legislature, there's going to be limits on where that comes from. But at the same time, you've had Tony Evers, who's talked about massive new spending projects coming on, whether it's, let's put more money into you know, K-12 through 12 education. And everybody thinks, oh, that's going to be great. Well, all right, that's probably going to happen. It's going to cost everybody a lot more in tax money. And my guess is schools aren't going to be any better four years from now after having all this money poured into them. But, you know, you have, we, we heard, oh, this is this huge issue. Scott Walker hasn't done enough for the roads. We need more road building, et cetera, et cetera. We need to spend all this money on mass transit, et cetera, et cetera. And nobody seems to know where the money is going to come from. Well, the chickens are coming home to roost. That 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 money is going to have to come from everybody in the form of higher taxes and higher fees. Does the result of the election say that we are okay with that? Vincent on the northwest side. Hi, Vincent. Uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi. You know, these school referendums just shows the hypocrisy of, of people calling themselves fiscal conservatives. Because all of these areas, all these areas that uh, basically raised their taxes, basically uh, voted for Scott Walker. Waukesha, yep. Yeah, Waukesha, big sixty-some million dollars school spending. Yep. Exactly. So, so there's there's no such thing as a fiscal conservative. They just want to spend on what they want to spend it on. But my point is, uh, didn't, didn't for the last four years, Governor Walker has said the state has had a surplus. Right. Where's that? Why are we? Why are we all of a sudden now? That we can't pay for pay for programs, you know. You know, in the, in the real world, I, you know, I, I would be fine with paying for programs and also raising a little taxes. You know, doing it both. But the fact is, that we were supposed to have a surplus. And he's been, uh, doing an election. That's all he said. The state was uh, had surpluses. Where mm-hmm. is that? Well, I mean, to, to answer your question, Vincent, uh, my understanding is that when they look at the the spending that that you know the the agencies want to do. It eats up that surp. It's that surplus, and then it's all this sort of extra money that's there, and that's before you have any of the extra spending, which has been implied. But again, what Tony Evers implied was going to happen, but didn't say where the money was going to come from. At the end, remember, at the end of the campaign, he came out and said, "Look, I, I, I'm, I promise, I'm not going to raise anybody's taxes." Well, I, I just, I don't see how you can do that. And still do the things that he claims that he wants to do. The The point, though, is, I, I mean, I wonder, and I, I wonder this seriously, is is the fiscal revolution over? Have we gotten to a point where in Wisconsin, because the economy is doing so well and that people are, are working now and employment is high, that we don't care about whether or not, you know, we go back to becoming a tax hell. That's that is. And that's really, I, I think. Perhaps that's one of the, the takeaways from the, the election. You know, we, we want this. We, we want more spending on health care. All right. Okay. We want more spending on roads. We want a lot more spending on our schools. Okay. 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 Well, all right. Get ready because I think that's going to be where this ends up happening. Now, again, there's only so much that can go through as long as you have overwhelming Republican control in the Assembly and in the Senate. But keep in mind, the governor of the state of Wisconsin has a broad ability to rewrite legislation with use of the veto. And Republicans, while they have overwhelming majorities in the legislature, they don't have enough. They don't have a two-thirds to override. So the bottom line is, I just don't see how, I don't see how we get, you know, beyond massive tax increases. Bob in Wauwatosa. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Well, I don't think there's going to be a massive tax increase. I could talk an hour about what a mess this budget is, especially if he jumps into the Medicaid thing. But basically, I called about the total amount of bonding 
and the and the amount of money that's going to have to be paid back. You're talking about the published amount of bonding, but everybody forgets to mention that there's about 90% interest also that's going to have to be paid back, plus the commissions that have to be paid on these bonds. Then those cities and those schools that jump into higher than actual of per, um, per person spending, right. they go into tertiary negative aids, which means they have to pay money back into the state. For instance, in Wauwatosa, we had a $24.9 million, uh, um a bond, but the the interest and the commissions are going to be over a hundred million. Mm-hmm. And since we have to pay back five million a year into the um, back into the tertiary negative aids, the total bill is going to be three hundred and fourteen million. Now, how are they going to get any money to improve the quality of education? And also, they claim that they have two hundred twenty-five million dollars more in repairs that has to be made. I mean, it's just gigantic, and nobody understands these. As you know, I've worked on this for right. for decades. Well, no, and, so and, and, it's good, and it's going to do nothing but get worse. You're right. It's going to just get do nothing but get worse as time goes on. Yeah. No, thanks. I, there's I, not I, enough money. There's $2 billion, or $2 billion in the hole, ever said right now, um, going in for the next budget. And, right. And if you, took, if you take, if they kick out Act 10, that means big raises. If they kick out levity limits higher, then you have Medicaid, 93% is what they're uh, putting back, but they're, they're definitely going to reduce that. And then he wants to have a tax cut, and he wants to put a lot of money into the roads and a bunch of money into special education. I, yeah. What a dream. Well, it, it, no, thanks, but, it, but I tell you, Bob, it, but it's where, it's, it's where we are now. And, and, that's, and again, you, you've got the Republican legislature, which acts as a bit of a check on this, but the, the bottom line is, this is one of the things that happened on Tuesday as a result of Tuesday is in many respects that that Republican revolution that's been going on over the course of the last year, eight years, that that's that has come to an end. Scott Walker was the face of that. Paul Ryan was the face of that. Ryan's gone. Walker's gone. And, and now it's going to be curious to me to see where do we go from here? Who emerges as the new leader of the Republican Party, is it going to be Ron Johnson? Well, I, I mean, Ron Johnson's already said he doesn't think he's running for election again. Where is that going to come from? Where is the ne- the next generation of, of the Scott Walkers and the Paul Ryans, the folks that, I don't know, many of us came up with? What Where is that going to come from? And, and, and is it going to be on the pace with people? I mean, this is one of the things that I, I think's happened over the years because it's a time of prosperity. People are saying, okay, we don't need these fiscal restraints. Let's spend, let's spend, let's spend. How much can we get? We want this, we want that, we want the other thing. Well, now we're going to have to see how that all plays out. It's 1254. This is Jeff Wagner. By the way, the Wall Street Journal has just posted online a very explosive story involving President Trump. I will share that with you. We're going to be talking about the Girl Scouts. We're going to be talking about Bayshore Town Center, the Trump administration, all sorts of things on today's program. Don't go anywhere. It's 1255. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 108, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So I just got done. Rewatching this five-part thing that the History Channel did on, on Watergate, and I, I, I was I was a teenager during Watergate. I, I remember all the things leading up to Nixon's resignation, and I. It, but it, it was interesting to just it kind of brought a lot of the stuff home, and it brought a lot of the memories back. The, the whole Watergate thing was one of if, if you want to look, there's many lessons to take out of it, but but one of them is that the entire thing was such an exercise in, in ridiculousness. And it's what happens when you have elected officials that get a little bit paranoid. By that I mean, 
All right. The 1972 elections, Richard Nixon was elected in 68. He was cruising to reelection. Right. He was not. There was not a Democrat that was going to come close to beating Richard Nixon. That was just the reality. But nevertheless, he and a lot of the people around him were incredibly paranoid. So they launched all these different cockamamie and illegal schemes. Here, we're going to do this. We're going to do that or the other thing. We're going to break into the Democratic National Committee and we're going to bug them. Apart from the illegality and the fundamental wrongness of it, it's like, what? Why? Why do you do something like this? You, it's completely and totally unnecessary, aside from illegal and all those type of things. And it was just kind of just this, this insanity. And watching the documentary kind of brought this back. And again, in the case of Richard Nixon, he, he was not one of the people that he did not green light the break in. But, you know, pretty much immediately after the break in, he was told about it and he certainly was instrumental in the cover up, which led to the obstruction of justice, which is why, you know, a lot of times you get the cliche. It's not the act. It's the cover up that ends up bringing you down. But it was just so so completely and totally unnecessary. I I've been thinking about that over the last couple of days, because if if moving forward over the next two years, President Trump ends up having legal problems which lead to impeachment, and I'm not predicting that. I'm I'm just saying if. It's not going to be the Russia thing. It's not going to be the Russia thing because I don't think they're going to find any evidence of collusion, et cetera, et cetera. You know what might trip him up? It's it's Stormy Daniels, and it's the hush money payoffs to keep some of these the, the stories that these women we're going to tell before the election women who said they had affairs with him to keep them from telling the stories. And again, I, I keep thinking back to this Watergate thing because all these burglaries and all this conduct and all this paranoid sort of stuff during the Nixon administration, he didn't need to do it. Nobody needed to do it. He was going to be reelected. I think the same thing is true with President Trump. The, the idea that, that somebody, gee, you're going to lose the election because you've got a, a former uh, you've got a former pornographic film actress who comes out and says that we had a one-night stand, although none of us were standing, back in 2007 after a golf tournament. Was was one person not going to vote for Donald Trump because that revelation came out? It was just, just silly. But I, I bring this up because there is a story that the Wall Street Journal just posted in the last hour that is getting a, a lot of play on on the national media and will, believe me, be the subject of all the talking heads tonight. And and I just I want to give you a little bit of perspective on it. I'll share it with you in just a minute. But the, the phrase you you hear a lot you hear they paid this person hush money or that person hush money. Well, okay, hush money is a pejorative way of saying something that in many cases is perfectly legal, and that is non disclosure agreements. It is not uncommon at all for people to have a beef with each other and reach a settlement. And one of the conditions of the settlement is that you can't talk about the settlement. For example, let us say that my producer, Gru, decided that he wanted to bring a lawsuit against our former employer, Scripps Company. Now, Scripps is a wonderful company, but just by way of example. And, you know, he said, okay, these are the different claims I had. And they, they all, they negotiate. And Scripps says, okay, fine, here's the deal. You're going to leave your job. We're going to pay you X amount of money, but as part of the agreement, we want to get past this. You agree that you're not going to talk about it. You're not going to disclose the terms of your settlement, and you're not going to talk about the beef. Companies, because they don't want the bad press or whatever. That happens all the time, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
There's nothing wrong with that at all. You can call it hush money. You can call it a non-disclosure agreement. You can call it a confidentiality agreement. That happens all the time. And there's nothing illegal about it unless, unless there is a particular and specific law which ends up getting violated. Now, when it comes to campaign finance laws, campaign finance laws are, are a kind of a mess in general. But, but here's, here's the deal. If you spend money to try to influence an election, whether it's your money or whether it's somebody else's money, that is supposed to be disclosed. So, for example, if I decide um, I want to host a dinner for if two months ago, I decided I wanted to host a, a dinner, a fundraising dinner for Governor Walker. I, I could do that, invite people to give donations. And I was hosting it, and the cost of the dinner was $1,000. That $1,000 that it cost me to put on the dinner, that's a, dis, that's a campaign contribution to the Walker campaign. It has to be reported. Nothing wrong with that. I can have the dinner. But the money that I spent on behalf of that, since it was a campaign sort of event, I I have to disclose it. That's what the law says. Well, what happens, and this is where it gets a little tricky, what happens if there's a dual purpose? What happens if it's, you know, I want to have Scott and Tanette Walker over for dinner, and I want to invite a bunch of my friends who've never had a chance to meet them before, and it's not an official fundraiser. It's just, hey, we're going to get together. Well, all right, if it's not a campaign-related thing, then I don't have to disclose it any more than I have to disclose inviting people over the cost of the dinner if I we have a dinner party of 8 tomorrow night. It, you don't have to disclose it. But then what if it's in that kind of gray area? What if it's not a fundraiser, but I invite people over, and they happen to be people who have money, and ultimately, because I've introduced them to Governor Walker, they decide that they want to write a check to him. All right, well, then it kind of gets into a gray area. But but the whole purpose is, what what is the purpose of the expenditure? And if it's campaign-related, it is supposed to be disclosed, which brings us to the whole problem with Stormy Daniels, whose name is Stephanie Clifford, and a couple other people. You had their stories that were purchased. The National Enquirer, you know, bought their stories. They, they paid money to these women. And then what they did is they ended up sitting on the stories. They kind of killed them. They call it catch and kill. So the stories didn't come out before the election, therefore not embarrassing President Trump. So the question becomes, you know, why, why did these, these payments get made to these women and who it was who directed it? And what was the real purpose? Is the purpose, gee, I don't want my wife to find out that I was having this affair, so we're going to funnel this money to this woman to keep it from coming public? Or is it, gee, I don't want the public to find out I was having this affair, so we're going to funnel this money? And that distinction, that difference, depends on whether or not this might be a crime or not. So here's what the Wall Street Journal is reporting. And this is this was posted uh, 1.03 p.m., so 12, posted about an hour ago. Donald Trump played central role in hush payoffs to Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal. She's the not, not as prominent as Stormy Daniels. She was a former Playboy model. As a presidential candidate in August of 2015, Donald Trump huddled with a longtime friend, media executive David Pecker. He ran the uh, um, 
National Enquirer, in his cluttered 26th floor Trump Tower office and made a request. What can you do to help me in my campaign? He asked, according to people familiar with the meeting. Mr. Pecker, chief executive of America Media Inc., offered to use his National Enquirer tabloid to buy the silence of women if they tried to publicize alleged sexual encounters with Mr. Trump. Less than a year later, Mr. Trump asked Mr. Pecker to quash the story of a former Playboy model who said they'd had an affair. Mr. Pecker's company soon paid $150,000 to the model, Karen McDougal, to keep her from speaking publicly about it. Mr. Trump later thanked Mr. Pecker for his assistance. So, I mean, this is getting at that question I was talking about just a minute ago. You know, why why was this payment made? Who made the payment? Was it for trying to keep her quiet so you wouldn't influence the campaign? And therefore, should it have been a campaign contribution? The story continues. The Trump Tower meeting and its aftermath are among several previously unreported instances in which Mr. Trump intervened directly to suppress stories about his alleged sexual encounters with women, according to interviews with three dozen people who have direct knowledge of the events or who have been briefed on them, as well as court papers, corporate records, and other documents. Taken together, the accounts refute a two-year pattern of denials by Mr. Trump, his legal team, and his advisors that he was involved in payoffs to Ms. McDougal and an adult film star. They also raised the possibility that the President of the United States violated campaign finance laws. Uh, the Wall Street Journal found that Mr. Trump was involved in or briefed on nearly every step of the agreements. Let me stop here. I, I know it's not an exact parallel. I, I get it. But the, the thing that brought President Nixon down was that the day or two days after the break-in at the Watergate, you know, he was briefed on, on what had happened. And from that moment on, he knew about it and took steps to cover it up, thereby obstructing justice. Anyhow, uh, the Wall Street Journal found that Mr. Trump was involved in or briefed on nearly every step of the agreements. He directed deals and phone calls and meetings with his self-described fixer, Michael Cohen, and others. The U.S. Attorney's Office in Manhattan has gathered evidence of Mr. Trump's participation in the transactions, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, and then the story goes on and on. But this, it, it is interesting to me because, again, campaign finance laws are a mess. The whole question becomes, what, what, why, why did you buy somebody's silence? I mean, if, for example, because Gru is my friend, for example, and somebody is suing him, if I decide that I want to give him money or spend money in order to help him settle his lawsuit, I, I can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't have to be disclosed. There's no improper thing unless that payment that I am making is covered by campaign finance laws, in which case it might have to be something that's disclosed. I bring this up because I don't know where this is going to go. I, I, I don't. But the, the more and more this develops, as people talk about impeachment and legal problems, I continue to believe, and, and I'm sure you've heard it other places as well, but this is sort of my assessment of it. If, if the president's going to have trouble, it's, I think, going to be less from the Robert Mueller Russia type of thing, and candidly, maybe more from this. And if that's the case, again, again, how silly, because I continue to believe firmly that if if these women had told their stories, gee, in 2007, I had an affair with Donald Trump, or, you know, whenever we had a three-year affair or whatever, it wouldn't have cost him a single vote. It, it would come as a, no surprise to anybody that that's what President Trump was, was doing back then. It's probably done with other women as well. 
again, just and I, I don't know where this is ultimately going to lead, but this is the, the breaking news story from the Wall Street Journal. All right. When we come back, I want to talk about the Boy Scouts. I want to talk about the Girl Scouts and another lawsuit. Stick around. It's 120. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The holidays are right around the corner. We are back with our annual holiday radio show. WTMJ presents The Night Before Christmas, starring Gene Miller, Jane Matinere, yours truly, and a sleigh full of Wisconsin celebrities from Turner Hall in downtown Milwaukee on Monday, November 26th at 6.30. The live radio play will be recorded in front of a studio audience, and you can be a part of it. Buy tickets now. A limited number, and this is in it's highlighted on my copy here. A limited number of tickets remain. Go to WTMJ.com or text the word Christmas to 414-799-1620. All right. The Girl Scouts, they are going to court. They have sued the Boy Scouts for trademark infringement. Here's the deal. You will remember a number of months ago, the Boy Scouts indicated that they were going to go to a gender-neutral rebrand they they weren't going to be the the boy scouts of america anymore what they were going to be is they were going to be scouts bsa and the idea would be that after 108 years uh boy scouts of america which had been known as boy scouts will simply will start to allow girls to enter their ranks and so if you're going to have girls that are there, it's no longer just the Boy Scouts, right? So they call themselves Scouts BSA. What they're going to be doing as a practical matter is that, that see, they, they'd already started admitting girls into Cub Scouts. First of all, there was like this parallel thing where the girls could be part of, where the girls were sort of like separate. Now they leave it up to local discretion. Girls can be separate, but they can also, you know, actually actively participate with their brothers, etc. So you, you've got girls that can be Cub Scouts, um, and the Boy Scouts of America are going to begin accepting girls next year. Girls can compete. There's always been girls and explorers, which is for the older level of scouting, but but they're you know they're letting them in. Now, when this happened at the time, I was curious. And we talked about what this was going to do to Girl Scouts because Girl Scouting has been struggling in in recent years. And now the idea that you're going to be able to get a choice and girls who want to participate in these type of activities can go to Scouts BSA or essentially the Boy Scouts. How How is that going to hurt the Girl Scouts? Will it hurt the Girl Scouts? And how will the Girl Scouts respond? Well, we now know because the Girl Scouts – Yesterday, have filed on Tuesday, had filed a a trademark infringement lawsuit. Their argument is that by calling themselves Scouts BSA, by saying Scouts, you are infringing on the Girl Scouts trademarks and creating confusion. Well, I mean, to me, that's not what this is all about. To me, it's about the reality that the Girl Scouts are losing members. Number one. And now they're probably going to be hemorrhaging potential people who are girls who, instead of signing up with Girl Scouts, they're going to go over and they're going to participate in Boy Scouts. So they're they're turning to the courts and what I think is probably this kind of last-minute Hail Mary sort of thing to try to perhaps stop this or at least make the Boy Scouts do some rebranding. But they'd like it to be stopped. But this this raises the underlying issue. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. It now appears very clear that the decision by the Boy Scouts to allow girls to join 
We're, we're seeing it. The, the Girl Scouts, I think, are terrified that this is going to significantly hurt them because they're going to lose a lot of potential members. Should the Boy Scouts, should they reverse this policy? Should they say Girl Scouts are for girls? We, we're going to scrap the idea of Scouts BSA and we're just going to go back to just taking boys. Do girls belong in the Boy Scouts? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I understand, I know that a lot of you either participated in Scouts, Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, or um, are youth leaders in Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts. How, how is this going to work out moving forward? Have the Boy Scouts really irreparably harmed Girl Scouts by taking girls. 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. We'll discuss in just a couple minutes. 128, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. The All-American Window and Door, We Love Wisconsin Tour, rolls into Belgium, Wisconsin. That is Belgium, Wisconsin, as opposed to Belgium, Belgium. John and Melissa will be live from Hobo's Corner Kitchen starting at 3 o'clock on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Be sure to check that out. Okay, let's reset this. 414-799-1620. That is the number. Those of you who are regular listeners of this program know that over the years I have been very active with the the, the Boy Scouts program used to MC their annual awards banquet that they had out in Waukesha. That was called the Potawatomi Area Council for years and years. Wasn't able to do it last year, but it was, you know, it was very, very rewarding to see all the parents and to see all the adult volunteers and to see all the kids. That was absolutely great. That, that whole dynamic has changed because Boy Scouts of America decided over the course of the last year or two that they were going to open up membership to girls. And a number of girls have, have signed up. For the last couple of years, girls have been able to join the, the Cub Scouts, which is the, what, the 7 to 10 years old. For a number of years, girls have been able to participate as explorers, which is the, the older version of scouting. And now girls can join the Boy Scouts as well, starting in February. The Girl Scouts of America, recognizing that this is going to hurt their operations, and they've been hemorrhaging kids over the last several years. They've now filed a lawsuit in Manhattan Circuit Court claiming trademark infringement, saying that they they shouldn't be able to just use the name Scouts. But I think this raises the larger issue. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is there anything wrong with the Boy Scouts going co-ed? 414-799-1620. And you know, I... Oh, when I first heard about this, I was not necessarily enthusiastic about it. But the more I think about it and the more I, I see where this is playing out, while I have always believed that there is a value on, on some level to kind of like same-sex education, that is, you know, if you want to have a separate school for boys and girls, I, I think if, you know, that's good for your kid, you should have that that value and the ability to do it. But moving forward... Looking at all the different opportunities and looking at what groups like the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts have to do to survive, I, I think, I ultimately think this was a smart move for the Boy Scouts. And again, there, there are issues when it comes to you have to have enough chaperones for the camping trips and things like that. But, you know, moving forward, I think this is something that ultimately is going to be embraced by, by the Boy Scouts. And I think it's going to help them survive as they move forward. 
414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I do think it's also a shot across the bow of Girl Scouts because what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to figure out, all right, what, what can we do to end up being competitive because it is going to cost them a lot of people. Let's start with Bob and Butler. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? Good. Well, well, I support it fully. I'll give you, uh, the audience, a point of interest here. Venturing program, Boy Scouts of America, has been co-ed since the early 80s. Right. That's what I'm referring to as the explorers, yep. right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that same kind of program. There's one's more career-oriented, one's more outdoor program. Um, my question has been very simple is for years now, what year will we have the first girl Eagle Scout? Um, you know, there's no reason why the leadership that the Boy Scout program makes available to the youth of our nation shouldn't be shared for both male and female. Um, maybe something else the audience may not know is before this decision was made, the Boy Scouts did poll customers who weren't customers at the time. 83% of the people who have both male and female sons and daughters were looking for a program that they could take both of their children to rather than split up the family. Right. And that was the primary reason for this decision is the Boy Scouts looked at a group of people who currently were not their customers and said, how can we better serve the families and the youth of this nation? I think it's a great decision to pull families together and look, anybody that's been in Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts, boys and girls, the, the sons and daughters have been doing the Pinewood Derbies and building all that stuff for years together. Why shouldn't they also get the rewards of, you know, completing the requirements and being recognized for their good work? It's a well, great decision. Well, yeah, and, and I agree with you. And, and I, I also appreciate that this is probably going to put pressure on, on the Girl Scouts. And, they're gonna, and this is going to siphon off people who might have otherwise been inclined to go into the Girl Scouts. But... But the, the answer is, so what? My response would be, okay, that means Girl Scouts are going to have to figure out how we how can we adapt to this. Maybe we need to do more camping-related things. I, I don't know, but but that's that's not a reason for the Boy Scouts not to do this. Agreed. And I think for families that now can do things together, isn't that a wonderful thing for this country? Uh, hats off, and I hope it's just an overwhelming success for the families that enjoy uh, this time together. Right. No, thank, thanks for call. And I think it'll make it easy. Look, one of the problems that you have, and I mean, I, I would see this on, on a regular basis, is it's not just with the membership of the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts or joining Cub Scouts or whatever. It's not just that, but it's also this whole issue of, of where are the adult volunteers going to come from? You know, who's going to volunteer their time, et cetera, et cetera. By expanding the roster by letting females in. And I understand that you're always going to have these issues about, well, what happens about camping and things like that? Well, okay, you, you have enough chaperones to take care of it. But I guess I, I believe that by being inclusive, you, you open the doors to a whole other range of, again, now, now you've got some of the moms that might be able to act as chaperones, that might be able to, again, participate in that fashion as well, and still being with their daughters and their sons. I, I guess the more and more I think about it, I think it's going to work out just fine. As to a lawsuit about trademark infringement, I mean, you know, give me a break. I mean, Scouts BSA, you can call yourself the Girl Scouts, and the Boy Scouts can say Scouts BSA, and I, I think people pretty clearly understand, you know, what's going on here. It is 142. When we come back, well, he's kind of a B or a C-list star, but he finds himself in the news. Stick around. 142, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.
It's 146, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Gru, who's producing the show, Benton Blount. Do you know who he is? You ever heard of Benton Blount? Okay, Benton Blount, um, he was on America's Got Talent a few years ago. He's a country western singer that's kind of fallen on sort of hard times, I guess. He's, he's back in the news because apparently um, you, you have ZZ Top, and I'm, you know, Billy Gibbons is. He's one of the guys with the beard on ZZ Top. He he's out there touring right now. And this Benton Blount, his band was the opening act. Well, Benton Blount um, is is a conservative, something that you you see a little bit in country music, I guess, but you don't see a lot in in popular music. Well, he, what Benton Blount does is he posts a photograph of himself on on Facebook the other day. And he's wearing a red Make America Great Again hat, you know, one of the Trump hats. He's standing there with an I Voted sticker, and he's got a a soda and a sandwich from Chick-fil-A. Why Chick-fil-A? Well, you understand Chick-fil-A is also extremely controversial in certain circles because the owners are evangelical Christians. It's not open on, on Sundays, all that type of stuff. So this is kind of an I voted, make America great, and I'm eating Chick-fil-A. So he shows up with his band to be the opening act for the ZZ Top guitarist Billy Gibbons, Gibbons concert tour, and they tell him, sorry, done, your history um, you're fired. They don't tell him why he's fired, but it's pretty clearly because of this Facebook post thing. So I guess if you're on the left, you can pretty much do whatever you want. But if you're on the right, don't go to Chick-fil-A and take a photograph of yourself. Which brings me to the next story that I want to open up the phone lines on. Tucker Carlson is, of course, a, a commentator for, for Fox News. You can like Tucker Carlson. You cannot like him. doesn't matter. What happened the other night at his house has a number of people really raising their eyebrows. He he lives in in Washington D.C. Apparently, what happened is a, a large group of protesters showed up at his house. The group calls itself Smash Racism D.C. and they're one of the these you know these Antifa you know the anti-fascist groups. So they show up at his house in suburban Washington, D.C. He's not there. They post a video of their members screaming obscenities at his house and blaming his policies, the guy's a commentator, for the deaths of thousands of people. Tucker Carlson, we will fight. We know where you sleep at night. One video shows one of the protesters ringing the door over and over again and screaming, racist scumbag, leave town. Apparently, um, then they post a number of other things talking about how he spews nonstop hate and, and they know where he lives. Apparently, they also put out a tweet giving out the guy's address as well. His wife was home. His kids weren't. Apparently, his, his wife hid in a back room because somebody was like banging on the door and they were afraid they were going to break in the door. They um, vandalized the driveway with graffiti tried to break down the front door, shared the family's address on social media, and encouraged others to confront him. His kids were not at home, but his wife was, and apparently she hid in the back room until police arrived. All right, so this story is out there, and there are a number of people who are defending it. The argument is, well, look, if you're going to be a public figure, if you're going to be somebody that goes on Fox News, 
for example, and talks about conservative policies. You are preaching racism. You are preaching hate. And so you get what you end up, you deserve, you get what you deserve. And if we want to come out to your house and we want to publish the address of your house, and if we want to show up and scream, we are entitled to do that. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, clearly, clearly people have a right to protest. And clearly people have a right under the First Amendment to express themselves. You are talking to a guy who makes his living every day under the umbrella of the First Amendment. But do we take it too far? And is this going to be the ghost of Christmas future? Are we going to start seeing more and more things like this where groups emboldened by perhaps the election results on Tuesday, emboldened by their hatred of President Trump, decide that anything is fair game? So 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did the protesters go too far the other night in showing up at this guy's house, vandalizing the driveway, putting his address out on social media, banging on the door and terrifying his wife? Or is that just fair game in today's politically charged environment? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As you might expect, I have a very strong opinion on this. We will discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. Was Tucker Carlson a victim or is this just kind of anything goes in today's day and age? 152, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 154, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here's a text. Hey, he's a professional provocateur, and this is what happens. So in other words, if you want to, I don't know, if you want to go on TV and you want to espouse a particular theory, then if it's the left, I guess it's okay. Go out, show up at his home, bang on the door, terrify his wife, scream, put his address out there. Huh, is that really the standards we have? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Robert in New Berlin. Hi, Robert. You're on WTMJ. Oh, thank you, Jeff. Yeah, that's, that is my take on it. The liberals have all the First Amendment rights, but the, the right does not have First Amendment rights. Uh, you know, and as soon as you can say you're a conservative, somebody will say you're a racist or a fascist, which is... A bunch of BS, and we both know that. Well, right, and but I guess it's this idea that anything goes. So you've got Mitch McConnell who's sitting in a restaurant, and right. here we can go up, and we can not only scream at him and harass him, we can grab his food because, well, you know, we're the nicer people. We're on the side of right. We're the moral people. So anything kind of goes. And I, I'm, I guess what I'm afraid of, Robert, is over the next two years, as as this intensity ratchets up even more as we wind into the next presidential election cycle, I, I think it's going to get nothing but worse. I think this is this story. I'm afraid is going to be happening on a regular basis to all sorts of people. I agree with you on that. You know, if you say calling out Sarah Sanders for a party at, at some restaurant not getting served, or look at what happened in Madison a few years back over Act Ten. Right. People demonstrated for for weeks, and now. Recently, a guy by the name of Bill Penzi emailed his people and said, "If you vote Republican, you're racist." Well, I, I mean, thanks. For, I mean, I, I haven't seen the latest Bill Penzi thing, but I mean, Bill Penzi, who runs Penzi Spices, he sends out stuff all the time, and he's he together with his mailing list. I mean, he espouses political views, and I think he has a right to do it. By the way, I. I, I don't have a problem with that. He gets to articulate things. That's not my issue. My issue is when you show up at somebody's house, terrorize their wife, 
bang on the doorway, defile the driveway, and seem to think that you have the right to do that because you are morally superior. I mean, that's the type of thing where, I mean, the cops should get there, people should get arrested, they should get hauled off in handcuffs, and I don't care if you're on the right or the left, that that's just not something that is acceptable. But you don't have many stories about, for example, people on the right showing up at the homes of folks on MSNBC and screaming their names and trying to terrify their spouses. Let's talk to um, John on New Berlin. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Great subject. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Uh, you couldn't have said it right. It doesn't matter if you're on your left or on your right. You, you don't have the right to do that to people, and it, they should be arrested. But here's my point. If you are those people listening to this, listen carefully. I'm a very, very, very conservative person, and I did not vote for Tony Evers. I did not. But I do wish him well. Here's the difference. I wish him well. I actually stand behind him, hope he does the best things for Wisconsin. Look forward to keeping an eye on what he does do, what he said he would do, but I'm not going to show up at anyone's doorstep. Right. So that's, if you're that person that does that, look at your base. Your base is made out of that. The base for the Republicans, that's not our base. Right. We're well, not those kind of people. Well, exactly. And, that's, and it's just kind of like it's this sort of moral superiority that goes on. And now it's going to be interesting to see because – for example, you know, Maxine Waters, who has been one of the most vocal, anything goes, let's get in people's faces. I mean, she's in line to head what the, the House Committee on Banking and all. These are the people that are promoting this idea of, well, we're the resistance, we get to do what we want. Well, all right, is this really the society that you want to live in where, all right, we're going to have protesters go out to everybody's houses and create these type of disruptions? Uh, my hope is no. But I think it's going to be a rocky ride over the next two years. Hey, when we come back, we're going to talk about a local story, stuff that's going on at Bayshore Shopping Center. And then, of course, 235, it is our pop culture corner. It's going to be a fun one for this week. I guarantee it. Stick around. 159. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, so glad to have you with us. All right, I grew up in Glendale, Wisconsin, a couple blocks from Nicolay High School. We moved, my parents moved here from the East Coast when I was about nine years old. And and I can remember some of my earliest memories after moving to Milwaukee is going over to what at the time was Bayshore Shopping Center. Now, back when I remember it, Bayshore Shopping Center, it started out as being an L-shaped strip mall. On, on one end, you had Sears. Then in the middle, you had Boston store, and that was like, and then the other end of the L had, uh, it was, it was always a grocery store. I seem to remember it being like a Kroger grocery store. And then again, it was outdoors. And so you had a variety of other stores, you know, up and down. I think there were a couple of restaurants in there as well. They sure developed over the years. You, you had, first of all, and, and I might have the order slightly wrong, but first of all, you had the area in the L shaped mall. It was enclosed. It became an indoor mall. Then they expanded that. There were a couple department stores. There was a Chapman's or something. It was like a standalone department store. And that lasted for a while, and it kind of ran its course. And then what happened is, what, 10, 11, 12 years ago, they said, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to take the, the existing kind of mall, and we're going to keep that, but we're also going to build what we're going to call Bayshore Town Center. And we're going to have all sorts of, of retail stores and we're going to have an apartment building, and it's going to be something completely new and different where a large portion of this is outdoors. And I remember at the time, 
I was skeptical about this. I'm thinking, geez, and, and, you know, outdoor shopping in Milwaukee, how's that going to go? And the truth of the matter is, for the first several years, it, it went extremely well. They had a number of stores that were, were in demand. You had a Coach store that was there. You have an Apple store. The Apple store, by the way, is still there. They had a Williams-Sonoma. They had, they had a number of kind of in-demand sort of stores. And, and candidly, I think a lot of people from the North Shore went to it. And the, the concept seemed to work, even if it meant that, you know, you had to park outside. They've got a Trader Joe's that's there now. Um, Bayshore Town Center has fallen on hard times. A number of stores have closed. I think they've got like 20 or 30 openings. They've been trying to get rid of the Sears store for years and years. And, and finally, the Sears store is closed, so that area is being raised. We all know what happened to Boston store, so the Boston store space is vacant. So you've got these huge gaps, and, and candidly, it's struggling. And, and one of the untold stories about Bayshore is they're, they're also having increasing issues with crime. They don't like to talk about it, but they have a huge problem, or at least a significant problem with crime and shoplifting and things of the like. So they're, they're trying to figure out a way to invent, reinvent it. And what they are doing, the new owners of Bayshore, are saying, okay, well, maybe what we need to do is we need to get away from retail, so here's, here is what they're talking about doing. And they need the city of Glendale to go along with this because they need the money to make this happen to come from Glendale through one of these tax incremental financing districts, the TIF district. So they need Glendale to underwrite the cost of this with the idea that don't worry, you'll get your money back. So here's the plan. What they're essentially talking about doing is getting rid of most of the enclosed mall. That, that's that's kind of the plan. All the stores that are there now, and not most of them will go. And so what they want to do is then, with all of them going, the, the older mall space, the food courts, some of the stores, they're going to be replaced by a medical office building. The proposal also calls for apartments to be built on some of the spaces, another mall parking space, they said, well, we'd be able to, you know, do some of these other improvements as well. They want to rework the, the central mall area and they want to turn it into, they want to put in, for example, an outdoor ice skating rink. But the idea is to move away from retail and move more towards office development and towards uh, apartments. Our number. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I think the developers figure that this is what they have to do because, candidly, I don't think they're able to replace the retail stores that they've lost. Now, it's not getting them completely and totally out of retail, but it's going more towards residential and more towards office buildings, so they will be competing with other areas. Now, keep in mind, for example, that there's already that proposal. You've got the developer that wants to build the, what, 30-floor office tower up in, in Bayside by the freeway. So this would be competing with that. But the idea is move it away from retail, try to turn it into more professional buildings, office buildings, um, a medical building, apartments. And by the way, we need some significant financial help from Glendale to make this happen. So look into your crystal ball. And my guess is perhaps you, like me, have have watched the development of Bayshore over the years. I thought that Bayshore Town Center, I didn't see how it was going to thrive. I was wrong, at least for a few years. 
Now things have changed. Now it is, in fact, struggling, and this is what the developers think they have to do to save it. Let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this the magic bullet that's going to save that area? More residential, an office building, less retail, get rid of a good portion of the old mall. Is that going to change the dynamic materially? And more importantly, should Glendale be footing the bill for at least a lot of the initial costs, hoping to be repaid over the years by increased property taxes. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My my advice on this would be I would proceed extremely, extremely slowly because I'm not sure there's the demand for this type of stuff at that location that the developers might hope there is. But that's just me. What do you think? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. What is the future of Bayshore Town Center and is moving away from retail the way to go about it? And if you shop at Bayshore, I'd be particularly interested to talk to you about how you feel about this. 414-799-1620. Back with your calls in just a moment. It's 214. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So here's the deal. Bayshore Town Center was revamped at huge cost about 10 years ago. So the new proposal is the older mall portion of Bayshore and the former Boston store, that's going to be demolished. The older mall space um, will be replaced by a medical office building. For a former Boston store will be divided into three parcels, which would be apartments, a hotel, and an office building. Um, apartments going to be built on vacant space that's there. But, I mean, the caveat is for this to happen, they want a significant investment in the form of a TIF district from Glendale, assuming that the money that Glendale advances is going to be paid back by property tax payments over the years. Is this a good deal for the taxpayers? Jeff and Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. I also think they need to be very cautious about it. I used to belong to a certain gym in the Bayshore Complex, and it got incredibly frustrating going there four or five times a week and trying to navigate around in there. Um, So if they're going to do that, they need to really give a lot of thought to to how people are going to navigate around. Well, I I also, I mean, see, I wonder where the population is going to to come from. I mean, they're they're talking about maybe some apartments for seniors or something like that, and maybe they're hoping that there's... I don't know, folks who lived in the North Shore, now they're empty nesters, so maybe they want to sell the house and they want to move in there. I don't I don't see that as being a, a huge draw. My guess is a lot of those people, if, if they want to stay in the North Shore, they're going to find locations other than that, that Bayshore area. Yeah, and, and like you mentioned that like a comp, like a medical company or an office was going to go Medical office building, yeah. I could see maybe like employees of their moving in there, but that doesn't really seem to be a, a big enough draw to to, you know, to for make to make it do well. Well, and here, I mean, Jeff, here's the other area. It's the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about, which is the crime issue. You know, I mean, one of the reasons, and it's not the only reason, and I'm not saying that Bayshore is unsafe. I don't mean to imply that, but you know, they they've the, one of the reasons I think that you had some of the stores that have gone out of business is because. You know, there are issues like that, and nobody wants to talk about it because nobody wants to, you know, discourage people from coming or whatever. But that's that's one of the things, if I'm on that city council or I'm making these improvements, it's like, all right, 
you know, do we have crime issues that are here? And if we make these sort of commitments, does that mean are you going to have the folks from River Hills, for example, who sell their house, are they suddenly going to move in into this Bayshore area if there are the concerns about crime that there are? Yeah, so in addition to the money, they have to worry about what they would have to do to get a heavier police presence in that area. Right. Now, thanks, thanks for calling. Again, that's, that's, this is, that is the elephant in the room that people don't want to address. Okay, here's a text. I fear we already may be overbuilt on upscale apartments in the Milwaukee suburbs, so Glendale could be taking a risk on the TIF, just like Menominee Falls did a few years ago on the hotel renovation around Highway 4145. Also, isn't it ironic that years ago we had theaters and ice rinks at many of our local shopping centers only to be removed long ago to make room for more stores, but now we're raising the stores, tearing down the stores to build theaters and ice rinks so old is new again. Well, of course, that's the same thing. We've got a streetcar there that's well. Here's another text. Went to Dominican Whitefish Bay in 1987. I was there every day after school. I have followed it throughout the years in development. It will be sad for it to go. I believe some of the outlying stores should go and the rest should stay. There is still a, a draw like the coal store, right? There's a coal store there. I mean, there there are still businesses which are, are succeeding, but they've got a ton of vacancies. Here is my concern, and I always raise this, and I particularly raise it with that area, somebody who grew up and lived in that area for most of his life. Here's the bottom line. If this is such a good deal, well, then why do you need all this city money to make it happen? I mean, if this is going to be the success and they're sure that they've got the projections and we're going to be able to fill the office building and we're going to be able to fill the apartments and we're going to be able to attract a high-end hotel or whatever kind of hotel and that's going to be successful, then then why do you need a substantial investment of public money coming on the heels, and it really is on, on the heels, of a substantial investment of public money 10 years ago to to redo it? I get the fact that retail is struggling. Believe me, I understand that. And I also understand that you've got this kind of profit center that's there. And I think there's still a lot of good stuff that's going on at Bayshore. But before you go down this route, I think you need some pretty significant guarantees before you start putting up a ton of taxpayer money, including just because you build it, why do you necessarily think that the people are going to come? That's the major question. It's 223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 225, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. An offense anchored by Aaron Rodgers ranks in the middle of the NFL in scoring per game and seems to lack continuity. What or who is to blame? Brian D. is in for Greg, and he'll explain why it's not the Packers head coach or the quarterback. That's tonight at 6.07. Tune in to Sports Central this evening. You know, every once in a while, you see these stories, and actually more than every once in a while, more and more frequently, I see these stories, and I just end up shaking my head, going, what the hell is the matter with people? <laughs> there was a story like this. So last night, I'm, I'm, I'm channel surfing, and I'm watching... I'm watching the local news, and I understand on the national level, you're talking about this horrible story out of California, the Thousand Oaks shooting, and you can certainly be asking that question. You know, what's the matter? But there, there was this story out of, of Oak Creek that just, I, I don't, it's just inexplicable to me. If you didn't see it, what happened is there, there's this, there's an apartment complex in, in Oak Creek. It's called Springbrook, Springbrook Circle. Okay, so they're, they're apartments. And what, what happened is the people 
park underground. It's one of those deals where you've got, you know, your private parking stuff. But apparently there was some issue with the garage door that the garage door wasn't going down. You know, you normally you enter, you drive in, you drive across whatever that that uh, wire thing is. And then the, the garage door is supposed to go down. The garage door, at least according to the reports I was looking at, it, it wasn't working properly. So you, it would open, but it wouldn't close promptly. All right. No, no, no big deal, you wouldn't think. Well, apparently what happened the, the other night, Wednesday night, somebody got into the, this parking garage and took either a crowbar or a baseball bat or, or whatever and broke into upwards of 30 vehicles. Just went car after car after car, smashing in people's, you know, windows. And then I guess to an extent, you know, rummaging around in in what happened in people's cars. But I mean, the the truth of the matter is, what are you going to find in people's cars? I mean, they, they didn't do it to steal the cars. They did it essentially to vandalize the, the, the vehicles and, Again, maybe in some cases they, they you know, they, they went through and they removed some stuff. They, you know, they went into the glove box and they went through and they tossed all the stuff out of the glove box. But if your car is like mine, you're, you're, there's not going to be much of value in in the vehicle. You're not going to find anything of significance that you want. But th- these people just went car by car by car, breaking in people's windows and, and vandalizing this. And you know, my guess is. My guess is all the stuff that they probably stole to the effect they found anything, if they got more than 50 bucks worth of stuff out of all these different cars, I will be surprised. You know? But but it was just, it's the act of vandalism. Now, they don't have security cameras, or at least they didn't have security cameras, so they, they don't have people, they don't know you know who did it yet. And there was interviews when I was watching the TV reports about you know how people understandably feel violated because this stuff has happened. But, you know, the, the bottom line of all this is who does this type of stuff? I, I mean, seriously, most of this is vandalism for the sake of vandalism and, and nothing more than that. So you, you find yourself going, my, my goodness, you know, what, what's going on in the world today? And I don't want to be that grumpy old guy saying, hey, kids, get off my lawn. And, and I understand we, we live <clears throat> in this kind of world. Where, I don't know, things are perhaps different than they were 30 or 40 years ago. And I understand there were always people that were out there, you know, engaging in vandalism and stuff like this. But, you know, somebody, guys, gals, whatever, you just take a crowbar and a baseball bat and you go into a parking garage and you just start breaking window after window after window just, I guess, because you, you think you can. And understandably, it has all the neighbors on on edge, and I I get that. And the the office, you know, where the of the apartment complex, you know, they're saying, okay, well, let's, you know, we'll kind of like wind this down. Well, we, you know, we're taking the matter seriously, and we're working with the police, and maybe they're going to catch the people. You know, it, probably not directly. My guess is, if they catch the people, it'd be because they go into some other parking structure and start to break all the windows there as well. But what sort of person does this kind of stuff? Or what sort of people do this kind of stuff? 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We have written, as I said at the start, this is, it's really been a, 
a week where it's just been incredible news. It started with all the stuff that happened on Tuesday as far as the election. Then you had the forced resignation of the Attorney General of the United States. And then you've had these wildfires in California. You had the horrible shooting in Thousand Oaks, California. Today you've got reports that there's new information concerned with President Trump's dealing with the payment of of money to some of these women before the election. It's just one thing after another. And what we do, even in weeks where there's just a ton of stuff going on, we carve out this final section of the program on Fridays to kind of go gently into the good weekend. I call the segment Pop Culture Corner, and sometimes we talk about food, sometimes travel, sometimes TV shows. Sometimes sports, again, it's it's whatever tickles my fancy in a given week that I hope will, will tickle yours. And uh, we are moving into the holiday season. Thanksgiving, what Thanksgiving is like a week and a half away. I, it just, I, it was just, I was amazed when I was looking at the calendar last night going, oh my goodness, Thanksgiving is just a week and a half away. And then, of course, after Thanksgiving, and I'm, I understand if you go into the stores now, you see Christmas stuff that's all over, but, but I'm, I'm kind of a traditionalist. Our, our tree isn't going to go up until after Thanksgiving, maybe soon after Thanksgiving, but not until after Thanksgiving. But the holidays are right around the corner. And I thought what we would do today on Pop Culture Corner is do sort of a holiday-related topic, going back to one of the things I love to talk about, which is is films. When we were on our river trip a few weeks ago, we were we were cruising the Danube, and we started off in Budapest, and we worked our way back to you know the eastern part of, of Germany. But but one of the stops we made was. In, in Salzburg, you actually stop at a place called Linz. Salzburg isn't on the Danube, but you get a bus and you go down to, to Salzburg. And Salzburg is, of course, famous for the sound of music. Matter of fact, as part of the, the, the excursion to Salzburg, they take you to places where you know, the sound of music was filmed. They take you to the church, not the real church where the couple got married, but the church where Christopher Plummer and Julie Andrews got married. It was a spectacular church. We were in the, these these gardens, these beautiful gardens where they filmed several of the scenes with the kids playing and stuff. It was a kind of a sort of a sound of music related thing. And everybody on the bus loved the, the sound of music. It's interesting because they were telling us that the movie The Sound of Music isn't big in Europe. Because apparently a couple years before The Sound of Music came out, there was a, a story, another movie in Europe about the Von Trapp, Trapp family that was more historically accurate and stuff. And yeah, people had seen it. So The Sound of Music isn't big among Europeans, but it's huge, huge among Americans. But so, you know, we were singing all the tunes from The Sound of Music and things like that. Because I think The Sound of Music is one of the great holiday movies. Which leads us to where we are with Pop Culture Corner this week. Thanksgiving is coming up, and after that, we're going to move right into the Christmas season. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. What is the one holiday movie? It's not the holidays until you have had an opportunity to see what film. We all have our favorites, but your favorite holiday movie let's get us in tune let's get us in spirit for the holidays 414-799-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line your all-time favorite holiday movie and why 
as I always suggest, uh, we our phone lines tend to jam up, so I would encourage you to call quickly. Want to get to as many calls as we possibly can. And as I always say, also, don't overthink this. Sometimes people say, well, if I call in, this is really the movie I love, but will I sound silly? Now, don't overthink it. Go with your first thought. Favorite holiday movie, 414-799-1620. And again, it, it's, I'm not necessarily saying it has to be a Christmas movie, but you know, it's time of the season. You know, why, for example, that sound of music, I think that's a great holiday movie, even though it's not particularly Christmas themed. Favorite holiday movie, 414-799-1620. Gru is lining the calls up. We're back to discuss in just a moment. It's Pop Culture Corner. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 2-9. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, first three uh, texts all say planes, trains, and automobiles, all for Thanksgiving. Uh, the late John Candy and Steve Martin, That that is, it's a great Thanksgiving movie. What I love about planes, trains, and automobiles is it, it's funny as heck. And then the last 20 minutes has this really kind of heart-twisting turn and all. It's just that I, I love planes, trains, and automobiles. 414-799-1620, your favorite holiday movie. Let's start with Dave and Racine. Hi, Dave. Hey, guys. Got to be National Lampoon's uh, Christmas Vacation. Christmas Vacation I mean, with Chevy the, Chase. The attempt at trying to create the Norman Rockwell Christmas <laughs> is just, you know, priceless. It, it is. Now, thanks for calling. You know, it's I love the first Vacation movie, and I, I love um, the Christmas Vacation with Randy Quaid, who plays, you know, like like the cousin. Um, it, it's just, it's, it's silly, but at the same time, there's also... There, there's kind of some touching things that are in there as well. No, Christmas Vacation, it's no question about it. 414-799-1620, your favorite holiday movie. Diane in Fox Point. Diane, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I actually have two movies, White okay. Christmas and It's a Wonderful Life. Well, let's work with White Christmas first of all. Um, it's just, you know, um, you, you've got, of course, you know, Bing Crosby, you've got Danny Kay, you've got Vera Ellen, Rosemary Clooney. You got it. And, and all these great songs. Yeah, yeah, and all the music of Irving Berlin. That's a great movie. It it, it just, I mean, thanks. That, that's one of the ones. Matter of fact, last year, last year, I, I, I saw it on the big screen. I think it, I, maybe it was last year, maybe it was two years ago, but they, they were bringing it back, and I think Marcus did it, and I went and saw it, and it was just, I mean, the, the colors are so vibrant. It's just that's you're right. You you can't go wrong with White Christmas. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thank you. Uh, I have to go with It's a Wonderful Life. Okay. You never get tired of watching Jimmy Stewart, huh? No, I uh, watch it every Christmas Eve with my family, and you know the line, uh, uh, "No man's a failure if he has friends." That's the motto I live my life by. So oh. Everyone. Yeah, ab- absolutely. No, thanks. You know, and you know Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. One of the things f- several years ago, it, it's a wonderful life went into the public domain, which means that meant that you know anybody could show it any time they wanted, and it, it seemed to me it was like on every every day, you know, in December. Sometimes you know two or three times a day, and I was afraid that it was going to get overexposed. But now, now that the rights are back under control, so it doesn't air anywhere near as many times, and, and I think it's actually made it a lot more special. But it's a wonderful life, Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed. It, it's a great story. And, and yeah, I will definitely watch that. You know, every every year, I will definitely watch it. Dusty in Menominee Falls. Dusty, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Another good show today. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Hey, the best movie of all time is A Christmas Story, no doubt. <laughs> You'll shoot your eye out. <laughs> you know, watched it a hundred times as a kid, and I can relate to the kids. <laughs> and I watched it a hundred times as an adult, and now I can relate 
to the adults. Okay, so here's my question, Dusty. What what they do? It's either TBS or TNT or whatever. They they they'll do the 24 hours of a Christmas story, um, Christmas Eve to Christmas Day. How many times will you watch that? Off and on, here and there, I could probably get about three or four, yeah. three or four times in. No, they they I, I I'm I'm like that as well. I mean, what inevitably will happen is. Well, you know, Christmas Eve, I'm not sure what we're going to do. Prob- uh, Christmas Eve, we're, we're going to my stepdaughter's house, and I'm sure it'll be on. I'll watch a little bit of it there. Come back in the evening. I'm going to probably watch it, you know, once at night. I will watch it once, you know, in the morning. I, I'm, I'm with you. I will probably see it, even though I've seen it a million times. I will probably see it two or three times, maybe not completely in its entirety. But it doesn't matter where you pick it up. It's just, it's a great it's a great show. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to John in Milwaukee. John, you're on WTMJ. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Your favorite Christmas movie? Number one, let's age ourselves, The Bells <laughs> of St. Mary. The Bells of St. Mary's. Yeah, again, uh, Bing Crosby and uh, Ingrid Bergman, right? Ingrid Bergman, that is correct. Um, yeah, and again, he's... Um, I, okay, I'm drawing a blank here. This, this, He's, he's reprising his... He's reprising his his role as a priest from the oh, going my way, going my way. The the one absolutely. that was before that, yeah, absolutely. No, that it, is correct. No, thank it, right. You're you're aging yourself a little, but it is a timeless sort of movie. Yeah, the right the Father O'Malley character. I love going my way. I've seen that more, but the Bells of St. Mary's, which was the next year, 1945. But it, it's a timeless sort of thing, and and if you haven't seen it. Don't let the fact that he said it's 1945 and it's black and white. Doesn't matter. It's a great movie. Check out Going My Way as well. Let's see. We go to uh, Mike in Muskego. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah. Uh, mine normally would have been uh, the other gal had said the White Christmas, but just to uh, throw in a goofy one, I like uh, I like The Grinch. Oh, yeah. well, yeah, I, you, you know, I well, you know what they've got the they've got the new Grinch movie that's coming out. I think it might premiere tonight or something. I, I'm actually, I was serious. I was actually thinking of going and seeing that. I, I like the Grinch too, I, and I love the TV show. <laughs> no, thank, thanks. I, I love the the original 30 minute TV show where Boris Karloff, you know, he he does the you know he he, he narrates the Grinch. That go that's the Dr. Seuss thing that goes back to the to the 60s. The Jim Carrey Grinch doesn't do a lot for me, but they've got a new Grinch. Um, and I think tonight is the night that it debuts. If not, it's coming out in the next week or so around here. And that's on my list of things that I want to see. Renee in Waukesha. Renee, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Renee. Um, White Christmas and the Sound of Music. And you were talking about Salzburg. Right. My parents um, lived in Salzburg for a while when the World War II was going on. Okay. But yeah, they said it was a beautiful country. It, it Austria was beautiful, and yeah. in that area, I mean, you could just you like I said, we went on the tour. We went to several places, and they'd say, "Okay, this is where they filmed this particular scene, or the 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 church. This is the church that Julie Andrews, when she was playing the when she was playing Maria, this is where she got married. It was very very cool. There's no question about it. Awesome. Now, they, and we thanks, and we all you know everybody's kind of humming it. Interestingly enough, like I say, Salzburg people there. It, it's also it's also Mozart. It's, it's Mozart's home. And so they, they talk. I mean, it's probably more Mozart related stuff than sound and music stuff. But for us tourists, we want to kind of see the sound of music stuff as well. 414-799-1620. Bill in Greenfield. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, hello. Another great topic. Thank you, sir. 
Okay. I have to get a little bit newer than your other people. Um, Christmas isn't Christmas until you you attend the party at Nakatomi Plaza. With <laughs> Bruce Willis and Die Hard. <laughs> now, see, it's weird because a lot of people don't think of what do you mean Die Hard is a holiday movie, but <laughs> Die Hard is set it's it's set you know on Christmas Eve, right? <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's at a Christmas party, and he goes back to see his wife and. Well, things, things, bad things happen when he goes to visit his wife. And, uh, but yeah, that, for me, it's just, it's funny. It's, uh, it's electric. It brings back memories from the first time you watch it. And it's just, it's a tradition in our house. I mean, I got uh, 26 and 28 year old sons and my wife and I, and we just sit and watch it every year. And it's just hilarious. It, it, it I think, I mean, it, it, it the, the, I see, I think the, I think the sequels kind of went downhill, but I'm with you. I mean, I, I love Die Hard. Oh, by the way, as long as we're talking about Christmas movies, Elf. Elf um, is turns fifteen. Elf has been around for fifteen years. A little Will Ferrell goes a long way with me, but I think I make an exception for that. I mean, I think the movie Elf is is a pretty clever and sort of a cute movie. And uh, fifteen years ago, so Elf turns fifteen. Let's talk to Dave in Elkhorn. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, home Alone. Oh, <laughs> with Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely, great it, movie, hilarious. It you know, and it, it slaps. It's it, you know, it's another one of those things where it, it's kind of silly and it's sort of dumb. I mean, you got all the kind of slapstick stuff with you know Joe right. Pesci playing the bad guy, but at the same time, it, it's got a moral to it. And you know, it's. Well, the more I think the moral message is, you know, be thankful for family. Don't yeah. don't uh, don't hold down on on what you think is bad. And, you know, be thankful for the things we have. Did you uh, Did you like Home Alone too? Yeah, it was all right. Home Alone one, I think, is a classic. I mean, just the whole yeah the whole, uh, whole thing. You know, yeah, I agree because it was a, it was a novel concept. No, thank thanks for calling. And it was before Macaulay Culkin got weird. Let's talk to uh, Dick in Muskego. Dick, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, favorite Hi. is Bill Murray and Scrooge. <laughs> I just I. I I love that movie. I, it's just, got everything you want in that thing. It's comedy. It's serious. It's got the whole Christmas story. I love it. So. Well, right, and, and it's and it's you know it, it's it's such a it's kind of a twisted reimagining of right. <laughs> of Scrooge. You know, I, I'm just I'm, I always kind of marvel at like who must have written that and you know these people. Okay, let let's do this and let's like okay, let's make the the ghost of Christmas whatever. Let's make it Carol uh, Kane and she's, she's going to come in and she, yeah, it's 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 it just it's so twisted that it, it's funny and Bill Murray is great in that as well. He's the only guy that could pull it off. Right? He, I love it. Yeah, he is. No, thanks for and Scrooge hysterical. Amy in New Berlin. Amy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, um, <clears throat> I have two of them. Um, I'm a dance teacher and a choreographer, so of course, like Christmas. Right. Um, Boy, Vera Ellen is just amazing, and she's oh, the. Yeah. She wasn't a singer, but she was a great dancer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Especially the best things happen while you're dancing. That's right. my favorite number. Right. Um, then my other one is um, Meet Me in St. Louis with Judy Garland, oh. where she sings "Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas." Yeah. Breaks my heart every single time when she sings that to her little sister. Yeah, Judy. Uh, gosh, Judy Garland, especially. Uh, th- yes, uh, you know Judy yeah. Garland, especially at that point in time in her career before. Uh, again, she took some reverses and things like that. Yeah. Just a, a young Judy Garland. No, thanks for meet meet me in St. Louis is tremendous. All right, let's see. Uh, oh, we we've got a lot of people who are a lot of people who are pushing like a various versions of the the Christmas Carol. Can't go wrong with that. Holiday Inn, Pete's Christmas, The Bishop's Wife. Yeah, if, if you watch The Bishop's Wife, watch the original, not the remake. The remake was terrible. 
But um, look, bottom line is the holidays are coming up. It is a time to surround yourself with the people that you care about. And nothing better than whether it's Thanksgiving evening or whether it's you know any time during December, sitting down with people you care about and turning on the fireplace or starting up the fire and putting on uh, maybe it's a DVD or maybe it's one of the many Christmas movies that are around and just taking a taking a trip back to a time that maybe when things were a little less complicated. 2.54, when we come back, John McCure is on the road. We'll find out what he's got on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.